you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Joe here. And Lucy, welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. It has become really clear to me over a number of years now that there are so many different ways to work and that women need to give themselves an opportunity to find the way that best suits them when it comes to combining work and family. Today's guest is going to talk to us about a few different ways of working that she has experimented with, from traditional full-time employment to running her own business and a few things in between. Lacey Filipich is a chemical engineer, financial educator and non-executive director who started her entrepreneurial journey with a hair wrap business at 10 years old. Today, Lacey is the co-founder and director of two successful businesses, Money School and Maker Kids Club. But before this, she was working in corporate as a management consultant and now she combines the two. In addition to all of this, Lacey juggles life with two kids and a shift working husband. We had such a great chat to Lacey. I really enjoyed it. I particularly liked hearing about her views on running your own business versus being in a corporate role because it's something that I've always struggled with as well, this idea that running your own business is the ultimate inflexibility. Lacey also shares a different way of working, which isn't something that I've really considered before, which is how she uses short-term contract roles to keep up her skills and earn income rather than having a part-time or a full-time position. Yeah. And she talks about why women need to work as well. So not just, you know, the different ways of working, but why we should do it, you know, financial independence, social capital. And of course, let's not just forget maintaining our sanity. (laughs) Of course. And last but not least, we talked to Lacey about money school and why she says it's so important to teach our children about money. Before we get started, though, make sure you check out our Instagram and Facebook pages at, at Managing the Juggle and enter our competition to win a copy of Jamila Rizvi's new book, The Motherhood. If you missed last week's episode with Jamila, you really need to go back and have a listen. You can find it at thejuggle.com.au. And here's a sneak peek of it right now. So while my book looks at confidence, it's not so much about saying, hey, you non-confident lady, please be more confident so you will be better. It's trying to point out to the person reading that maybe your lack of confidence isn't actually caused by your lack of ability and skill. Maybe your lack of confidence is caused by a system that's making you feel that way. Hi, Lacey. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. The first question that we like to ask of all our jugglers is, what time did you start your day? Today I started late. I started at 6.30 this morning. Um, (laughs) I love that that's considered late. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I booked a medical appointment, well, a chiropractic appointment at 8.15. It was the earliest one I could get. So I started very late. Normally I'm already on my way to the office by then. Oh, is that because you're choosing to start early? Yeah, I find it much easier with the kids if I'm out of the house before they wake up. If I'm there when they wake up, it's a mission to get them off my legs and to get out of the door. <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably the biggest reason. Um, the other one's just the ease of commute because I've been driving in because I'm extraordinarily lazy. It's a very quick drive at that hour of the morning. Yeah, I miss the traffic. So what does a typical day look like for you? What are the things that you're juggling at the moment? 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I think every day is different. But today, for example, I went and had that medical appointment, then had an interview on ABC 720 radio in studio. Very exciting. Yeah, it was great. And then into the office and now I've got basically back-to-back meetings all afternoon. That'll finish at about five and then I'll dash off to a University of Queensland social event because I'm a Perth ambassador for University of Queensland and we've got the state of origin tonight. <laughs> There's usually something on, you know, two or three nights a week after work and I've been very deliberate about actually making sure I go to those things, not just rushing home to the kids. Um, So it does feel like I'm kind of an absent parent at the moment. But I guess I've only got uh, about six more weeks of this to go, so I figured that that's okay. And that's the thing, isn't it? So you're currently working what's, I guess, normally referred to as a full-time contract role? That's right. So, And who's helping with all the family stuff while you're doing the full-time gig? It's definitely a team effort at the moment. My husband works shift work and so he has two days, two nights, then six off. Mm-hmm. So it's like working five days on, five days off. So when he's on his off, he's in charge of the kids. He does everything. When he's working, as this week, he's working Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday day shift and then he's got Friday, Saturday night shift. When it's school days and I'm working, my mother and my mother-in-law look after the kids. So for example, my mother-in-law is just sleeping over every night this week. <laughs> And so that's why I can swan off at 6.30 in the morning and it's no problems because I just basically leave her to it. And we're very lucky that she's an ex-pre-primary teacher um, and teaching assistant, sorry. So she thinks two kids is really easy compared to the 30 she used to wrangle. So she loves it. She really enjoys it. And my mum, who is um, recovering from cancer treatment Mm. um, and looking very well now, which is great, is um, eager as well. So we've got the two of them on board helping us with the kids whenever both of us are working. Grandparents are such a blessing. Oh my goodness. If I didn't have them, I would not be doing this. My hat goes uh, off to everyone who juggles childcare, whether it's before and after school care, getting kids to daycare centers. I just, that would be another layer of complexity that I think my brain might explode if I had to deal with. And also the extra layer of complexity with your husband working shift work, because it's not like you've got a regular diary where you can book the kids in for daycare on a Monday and a Wednesday. It's going to be changing quite often. Yeah, and because it is a 10-day cycle, it's never the same days. So you never know what it's going to be. Well, hold on, we do know, but it's never the same each week. But yeah, it is, it's intense. And I did find at the beginning, so I've been doing this for nine weeks now. At the beginning, I would try when he had night shift, I'd be like, well, I can deal with the kids. You know, like mum, mother-in-law go home. I'll look after the kids for night shift and you can just come back in the morning, you know, when it's just yourself. Mm-hmm. But because like you get home from work and you're tired and then you're trying to deal with all the nighttime stuff and my kids are late to bed type of kids. Yeah, I found it just absolutely exhausting. It's just, it's definitely too much. So yeah, we've just got to be gentle with ourselves and take each week as it comes. And we have a very detailed calendar on the wall with um, six strings, <laughs> you know, one for each member of the family that lives in the house and then one for the, each for the two helpers. Uh, we just make sure someone's always got on for the childcare part in their calendar. <laughs> There's been a lot of discussion about calendars and syncing calendars and schedules on this podcast. And I really do feel that it's almost a number one priority to make sure that you can manage the juggle, have a knowledge about who needs to be where, when, and how. Exactly. And because I'm a nerd, mine's in Microsoft Excel and it's posted on the door of our pantry. And so whenever it gets updated, we just take a photo and send it to everyone who's involved. Do you just do that on a weekly basis, print it out weekly? No, no, it's literally a grid pattern and it's the entire contract. So I've got it till it's... Oh, you know, wow. Three yeah, months, so you are organised. Yeah, so it's all up on the count and like it's just one thin line in Excel per person that goes across the week. So yeah, it's. I think I've got about 
16 or 17 weeks up there. It's just about who's on and who's off. Because remember as well, I've got young kids. Mine are five and two. So we don't have the extra complexity of this one's got to go to sport or music or anything like that. And as much as my darling mother has tried to convince me to enrol children in extracurricular activities, I've said absolutely no chance in hell, not while I'm working and maybe not for the foreseeable future. So that is a lot easier. And also because the school that my daughter goes to is walking distance from our house. Mm. It's just someone's got to be there to walk down and pick them up. It's much less complicated than traffic. Yes. And car seats. Yeah, exactly. All that kind of stuff. So we've done as much as we can to make it easy and that calendar is important. It probably gets updated almost every day with a pencil marking of like, I've got an event on, so I won't be home till 9pm. I just put my arrival time when I'm coming home on the calendar. That's all they need to know. They don't need to know about all the other meetings. Um, but it is a bit old school. Joe, you need to take note of this. Joe? Yeah. <laughs> Joe decides on the morning who's going to do the school drop-off or whatever it might be every day. I think oh my God. share your how spreadsheet. Do you, how do you do that? I would oh. lose my brain if I had to think about it. That decision-making capacity. I know, I know. Like if I have to think about it, I, can, I struggle. Joe, I have five outfits. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> five outfits that I wear. This is how far I go. My outfits get washed and they get put to the back of the queue. So everyone knows when it's Monday because I'm wearing the same dress. Because I can't be bothered thinking and making decisions about this and I get I get total decision fatigue. If you ask me to take too many decisions, I'll start vaguing out in the middle of a sentence. So I've done everything I can to make it so that I don't have to make a decision on the day. I can't imagine it would be my worst nightmare to wake up and have to decide who's doing the kids' run. Oh, my God. I do love all of those things. You know, like I know the, the women who wear the same thing to work every day, you know. So if they've got a uniform, great. But it might be like I wear jeans and a black T-shirt every day because then it's, you know, it might be a different black T-shirt and a pair of jeans, hopefully. But, you know, at least there's some, there is no decision, as you say, to make. I think we both have such flexible lives that we kind of mould to each other depending on, what's required on a certain day. And I I would like a little bit more consistency around it. And I am slowly trying to, you know, encourage my husband towards the fact that I'd like a bit more planning and scheduling and therefore so should he. But yeah, it's usually the night before it'll be like, okay, what happens tomorrow? Who's doing the pickups, the drop-offs and anything in between. But this schedule that you've created, Lacey, is is all, as you've said, because of this new three-month role that you've taken on. Before that, you were, you know, had your corporate career and all the rest of it and had children and then went more full throttle into creating your own business and businesses. But then recently you've taken on this three-month role. So you published an interesting article about that choice to, in some ways, you can call it return to work as it's traditionally known. And when Lucy and I read it, we thought it was very interesting and particularly that it included a couple of reasons that aren't normally touched on when people talk about the need or the want to return to work. But can you tell us what your reasons were? Absolutely. I'm very passionate about this with my interest in financial education and particularly financial independence for women. So my background is an engineer. I'm a chemical engineer and I worked in mining for 10 years and got promoted all the time and I was very popular and I've never had to worry about work. And of course, when I had kids, I stopped working in mining because it's not a very conducive family environment, particularly with my husband also still working in mining. Did you go back to work after having your first child? 
Uh, never went back to mining. So and I had w- switched over to contract work before, about three years before I had kids. So I was already, you know, a hired gun. You would call me up and say, oh, are you available for a six-month contract? And I would negotiate my terms. And then when six months was done, I was finished. So I never had a job to go back to yes. unless I wanted it. Fortunately for me, the company that I used to consult with, Lodestone Partners, has actively pursued me for the full five years that I've been gone. Um, they call <laughs> at least a few times a year with a, hey, would this contract interest you? Hey, would you be interested to do this? That's such great recognition. Yeah. Well, it turns out that I've got a very unique combination of skill sets. So being an engineer, most engineers, I'm going to be really derogatory here, aren't fabulous <laughs> communicators. Their people touch might not be their greatest skill. And I'm not saying I'm fabulous with people, but I'm extraordinarily tenacious and I smile a lot. Yeah. And that makes me very effective dealing with other engineers and other human beings on my side. So it turns out that that's unique. They haven't picked up another person from BHV Billiton, which is the company that I work for in the entire 11 years that I have worked on the client side and then as a consultant for Lodestone Partners. So I, it turns out I am rare. I'm quite lucky. That sounds like a tip for engineers. <laughs> smile more. Yeah. Smile more and get some people skills. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just that uh, how do you influence people when you don't have authority over them, getting them to do things and to change things when they don't necessarily want to change. So it turns out that's where I'm particularly good. So when Lodestone called me up earlier this year, and said, oh, would you be willing to come over to Wollongong, which is in um, New South Wales, and said, would you come over and do a diagnostic, which is usually the first part of a process. And so I said, oh, it'll just be two weeks. We come over. I was like, yes, all right, I'll come over. And it was actually lovely because it was the first time I'd been away without the kids, apart from like a one night, I think I had with my husband in Perth, we stayed in a hotel. So being without the kids away from my husband and away from all the responsibility, I, yes, I had to work, but every evening I got to come home and do whatever I wanted to. And it was actually a really lovely couple of weeks. A plane ride with no children on my lap was really good as well. So I enjoyed it. And I said, oh, would you keep going? I was absolutely not. There's no way I'm going to fly five hours each direction twice a week and then drive to get there. So they had another job come up and it was Perth-based. And they've, every time they've called me, they have said, oh, would you do this job? And it's always been FIFO. And um, it's the first one that's been in Perth. And I thought, yes, this one I will do because it's three months. My mum has been recovering, as I mentioned, from cancer. So she's feeling well again. She was like, I can help with the kids again. Mm. And my mother-in-law retired last year and she said, you know, if you ever want to go back to full-time work, just tell me I'll look after your kids. And Adam started his job doing the shift for us during late January. So it sort of seemed like a really good time. And the big thing for me was being able to keep my skills up, people remembering what I'm good at, having some relevant new professional experience so that let's say something happens tomorrow and we lose all our assets and we're broke and Adam and I both have to work. I want to be able to earn as much as I possibly can and I've spent a very long time building a reputation and a career and it really is a depressing thought that I might not be able to get back into that career just because I've been out of it for a while. So I took this as a great opportunity to really rebuild that um, recognition with people and now people are like, oh yeah, Lacey, she's an engineer. I remember that now. She's not just the money lady. So, you know, you start getting calls from people with job potential and, you know, do you want to, would you consider moving here to work and stuff like that? And I intend to say no to all of them, but it's lovely to have the choice. And is that also the reason, Lacey, why you mentioned that you're deliberate about going to events after work at the moment during this time that you're on this role? Is, is that part of the same thing? You want to be seen and get your name out there? Absolutely. Yeah, so it is, it's partly about that. The other part of it is I read an article, and this is the danger of social media, an article appeared in my feed that something must have been listening to me when I said I was returning to work. And the article was talking about how lots of mums 
miss out on all the social aspect of work because they're rushing home to pick up the kids from childcare or to get home to get dinner on the table and get the kids to bed. And I read that in my first week of work and I was like, that is not going to be me when social events come up. I'm not going to say yes to everything, but I'm not going to miss out on that side of things just because the kids are at home because this is a short period. I think if I was doing this full time forever, I'd probably have a different approach, but I was like, no, I'm in the city. I'm seeing people. It's great to keep the networks up and I really do enjoy the social side of things as well and I didn't want to miss out completely on having a social life, so that's why. So it sounds like the ability to take the three-month role has been a nice mix for you, enabling you to really jump in and give it everything during that time and this extra stuff as well. But you mentioned that knowing that it's not forever has changed the way that you've thought about it. Absolutely. So I've worked out about myself that I'm a batch processor. So some people are like continuous processors. They like, they like balance and they like everything to be smooth and to have a routine and to make sure that they're not working too hard or doing too much of one thing. Whereas I am not like that. And it was before I had children as well. I prefer to work really hard for a short period of time and then get be completely off. So I used to work six months of the year when I started consulting, I'd work six months over winter and then I would have six months off and have a mini retirement and we'd go live in Bustleton and I wouldn't work apart from working on passion projects, writing, and you know, blogs and stuff like that. That works much better for me. I'm much better doing really intense stuff for a short period of time. And that's why I'm very lucky that I've got this opportunity and this kind of a career. If I want to come back to it, I don't have to take a full-time role. I think if I was going to take a full-time role that was 12 months of the year, I would have to just to maintain my health and my sanity, take a much more steady approach and be less intense about working hard. You know, I've been working 50 to 60 hours a week the whole time and then also doing all this stuff in the evenings. That would never last if you were doing it for 12 months, right? You'd just fall in a heap. I would, absolutely. (laughs) There's no doubt about that. Exactly. One of the other reasons that you shared for attending to work was this idea that you thought it was really important for women to earn their own money. Absolutely. I'm pretty hot on that. And that, I guess, comes from a lot of anecdotes that I've heard through clients from women. They used to have careers. They used to earn their income. They have kids. They all of a sudden find themselves having to ask their husbands for money. Sometimes the husbands disagree with the reasons the women want money. I really don't like that feeling of being beholden to someone else. I'm pretty hot on it for women in general. There's the pointy end of the stick where it's people who end up in abusive relationships and don't have their own means of earning an income and don't have any of their own assets and they end up staying in these abusive relationships which often include financial abuse because they have no alternative. There are vulnerable women out there that are at risk of that. And I would like them to avoid it, which is why I think it's important to have some of your own money when you're a woman. I think your ability to earn your own money is important in that. If you can earn an income and you can put some of that income aside. Now, I'm not talking about having money that you've got squirreled away that you don't tell your husband about. It's not about runaway money or anything. You can tell them. They can, <laughs> they can know about it. They can know exactly how much it is. They can know what you're spending it on. They just don't have a signatory right to the account. So you've got some of your own income and your own money that if you decide you want to spend it on something, you don't need anyone else's approval. And I think that independence is really important, particularly for women that, as I said, have any risk of being vulnerable. So there's two things here, or maybe three things. There's the importance of women earning money to to feel capable of earning and to having that independence. And also I think the third kind of links back to what you were talking about earlier, which is to have the continued ability to earn money Mm. that, you know, you've got this risk that if you sort of stop earning for a period of time, especially if it gets to be quite a lengthy period of time, your potential to earn just drops off significantly. 
Exactly. And there are lots of people who take extended career breaks for care for children. You know, that's the common one. Um, but it could be for other th- reasons. You might be caring for your parent. You might be, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. But you have a decent career break. And I'm talking like five to ten years um, and because they haven't kept their networks up. You know, I've had several friends who've really struggled to get back into work and they end up coming in at lower rate of pay than they left a decade earlier or with less responsibility and no recognition of the skills that they've built up. These people haven't been sitting on their bums. They've been running households and, you know, raising human beings. It's probably tougher than any other job in the world. Um, Good for your organisational skills. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> but they just kind of get ignored and that, that doesn't get valued at all. And I... It's very depressing to think that someone can have a professional career of 10 to 20 years and that all just gets thrown in a heap because you take some time off. It's just not the case. Like I was a little bit worried when I first came back to work, you know, nine weeks ago thinking, oh, how am I going to go? But man, I'm still all over it. I can still run <laughs> people. I can still outwork them. Nothing much has actually changed. And I'm sure most women are probably similar. They might just feel a bit rusty, but their confidence disappears and that's the thing that gets them. Do you think that going, having, you mentioned you'd had a few shorter roles over the however many years it's been since you before you started this one do you think having those two weeks here and there has helped you with your confidence definitely every time I start one of those little projects and I do a lot of it from home so I won't be working with other people but it's behind the scenes type stuff a lot of the time my first day is like oh gosh I hope I can do this and then within an hour I'm like oh yeah I'm all over it I remember how to do this it's no problem at all but I think it's like do you guys ever remember when you finished school if the school holidays when you're in primary school, you finish in December and then you come back to school at the end of January, the beginning of February, and you're like, oh, how do I write again? How do yeah. I handwrite? You know, when I was very young, I vividly remember like, oh, my God, I can't remember how to write an A. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you have that moment of like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. But then as soon as you start doing it, you're like, oh, yeah, I can. Of course I can. You know, like this is not that hard. And in fact, your excellent organisational skills that you've picked up while you've been having children make you much more effective. And that's what I've found. One of the things that I really wanted to ask you is about the fact that you run your own business or businesses, actually. There's so much stuff out there and running my own business. I've seen a lot of it. And I I think that I'm not, you know, just simply seeing it all because I'm conscious of it. I think there is a lot out there about this idea that running your own business is a bit of a utopia and it's a fantasy land and everything's wonderful and that corporate world is just hell and that everyone should get out and away from the corporates because they're just driving you to the wall and, um, you know, you'll be much better off if you run your own business. So given that you're right in the middle of a phase where you're back in total corporate land working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, how would you say you're comparing the running your own business versus being in corporate world? What are the good things and the bad things? it's such an amazing and you've touched on it already joe the idea of this utopia this vision that we have that we're going to run this business we're going to work four hours a day while the kids are at school it's all just going to hum and the money's just going to flow in and anyone who's done this knows that that is just maybe it happens for one in a thousand people but most of us have to work really hard to create a profitable business and it can be years before you turn a profit yeah so yeah i think you're exactly right it is a utopia and a vision and anyone who does the idea of running their own business just for something to do, just to keep the brain active while the kids are at school, I think is asking for a lot of work to land on their plates. <laughs> it's a common misconception and people that um, start out that way have that feeling. And I've had a few friends that I've had pretty stern talking to before they've started business. They're like, oh yeah, I'm going to leave my reliable job and start a business. And I say, look, you're going to be working 80 plus hours a week if you want to make this work at the beginning. And honestly, with money school, I used to work ridiculous hours from home, yes, but still working ridiculous hours. Um, And you do have to do it. So I think there's this, if you've got this conception that you're going to run a business to have less time, 
um, overall spent, then it's probably not true. I think the, the difference is the flexibility. You can spend that time when it suits you um, and when it suits your family is the thing that makes a big difference. But there are still plenty of times when I had my mum or my mum-in-law looking after the kids while my husband was at work so that I could get work done for money school. So you still have the same challenges. It's just that you get to handle them a slightly different way and be a bit more flexible about your time. I think that's massive that people forget about when you're doing your own business versus when you're working is all the benefits that come with being an employee. Things like paid leave, paid sick leave, paid annual leave, superannuation, all those sorts of things that when you're running your own business, you don't take into account. So you might think, oh, yeah, I'm probably doing all right on an hourly rate if you just take the amount of money you earn divided by the number of hours you're doing. <laughs> but you're missing out on, on all this other stuff that people that are employees get. And yeah. if you're not very deliberate about it, you can end up really behind the eight ball, particularly the superannuation gap stuff. I think you've really got to trade it off. If you're doing a job and you want to be an employee because of, um, because of the career progression, because of the regularity of the hours and because of the superannuation and all the benefits, and that, those are good reasons. If you're thinking I'm going to run my own business and everything's going to be magical and I'm going to be better off, you've got to be really deliberate and make sure you actually are. There's a lot to be said for this whole there are expected working hours, you get to clock off, you don't have clients or customers calling you on a Sunday evening going, where's my product? Or, hey, what about this meeting? Um, Certainly there are jobs as employees that are like that, but I think it's more normal when you run your own business. The last point there is true. And it's not all about the finances. It's also things like being able to share the workload if you're sick and get somebody else to help out. In the early stages of a new business, if it's just you, you know, it, it ends, starts and ends with you. Exactly. And I have done, I've used this opportunity to finally let go of some stuff and to outsource some things, which is something that gets talked about a lot. And actually I'm starting to take some of it back because it's caused more stress for me having someone else manage it because I'm so fussy Um, and because it's my business and it's my brand and I'm really like protective of that. Whereas when you're working in a company and you're like, well, this project's got to get done. This person isn't going to do it to the exact standard that I will, but it doesn't matter. It's going to get done. You can sleep. You can relax. You don't stress about it. So, yeah, that has definitely got its advantages, having some coverage. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your business then. Tell us about what you do at Money School. I'm all about financial education. So I started out working with parents. So my theory is that we should learn about money at home because a lot of stuff about money is like values and beliefs. It's almost like religion. You know, I don't, I don't know the place in school because everyone's got different opinions and they're all fine. fine. Um, There's only a couple of rules. So my theory was you teach the parents and you teach the parents how to teach the kids. And I learned that way. My mom taught me about money. My dad also taught me about money inadvertently by teaching me what not to do. (laughs) He's an excellent example of what not to do. Well, that's good. You could see both sides of the coin, hey, so to speak. Exactly. <laughs> nice pun, Lucy. I thought I was funny. Yeah. 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 yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, that was a very good pun. Thank you. That was hilarious. <laughs> um, so I started out teaching parents. And so from that, what has happened is my most common client now is a 40-year-old woman without kids, which is ironic because they suddenly have a moment of like, oh, my gosh, am I going to be working for the rest of my life? How am I going to retire? The gender pay gap, the, the retirement gap, all that stuff them in the face and then they go oh how could I get into investing and then they ask me for help and so and you say you should have come to me 20 years ago (laughs) I always say it's never too late my mum didn't start investing till she was 49 so if you're ahead of her then you've got plenty of time (laughs) my point is always on education I don't want to advise people what to buy I don't tell them buy this share or buy this property I tell them how shares work how property works how the maths works how they can make some decisions and then they have a think about what works for them and make their own decisions so that's what I focus on with education it's also ended up 
that um, a lot of people said, oh, can you just teach my kids directly? <laughs> and of course, I was philosophically opposed to this for the reasons I outlined before. I think it's a values thing. I think parents should be involved. But what I discovered is I was teaching some parents, don't give your kids money for nothing. Don't give them just money for anything. And some of the kids started businesses because their parents weren't giving them enough money, which was quite interesting. And it was when one of them called me up and said, oh, I've got three and a half thousand dollars, Lacey. Um, should I buy some shares? And she was 11. Wow. And I was like, how on earth did you get three and a half thousand dollars? And it turned out she'd been making lip balm. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, it was pretty extraordinary. And she knows what shares are at age 11. You've done well. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. See, and they start thinking about it. So there's, um, yeah, so I've had from that family the next child, because there's four children in that family. So the eldest was the one I first started helping with her business and then started teaching other kids to start businesses because it turns out that's a really effective way to get them to save. All I want kids to do really is to learn to save first. Mm -hmm. I can only teach them one thing, save first. That's it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, even her younger brother now uh, emailed the other day to say, "Um, how can I go about buying shares, Lacey? Does my mum have to do it for me or can I do it? So yeah, you hear things like that and it's like, you just know these kids are going to be fine. They're not going to be running around racking up ridiculous amounts of credit card debt, getting themselves into holes. They're going to be on the right track. And that's what I hope to do. So everything I do with money school and now with make kids that start their own businesses is about helping them to have their own skills about money so they can manage it themselves. And then they don't have to pay a financial advisor and they don't have to sit around going, Oh, I don't know about money. They can actually <laughs> do it themselves. So what do you think is the most important thing a woman needs to know about managing money? I think everybody, this can, if everyone, yep. saving is it. The okay. ability to pay yourself first, Yes. So when your money hits your account from your income, whether that's sales from your business or whether it's an income that you're earning as a salary from part-time work or whatever, putting some of that aside into a savings fund is absolutely mandatory and you should do it as soon as it comes in without any temptation to spend it. So if you can save first, then later on you can worry about what to do with those savings. Later on you can start using those savings to buy shares and buy property and uh, buy bonds or put it in cash accounts and earn interest from it. You can do all sorts of things, but first you have to save it. So I get really concerned when I hear about women who spend frivolously on things that don't really matter to them. When they spend lots of money on stuff that's not actually making them happier, they just do it because they think they need to. Things like, you know, buying new clothes is a massive one or having shiny new cars. When they spend that money frivolously instead of saving it, that really worries me. And I think there's a bit of a habit sometimes for women to just like shopping as a habit, not necessarily as a form of, it's almost like a sport for some people. You know, I laugh, but my mum, my mum loves shoe shopping. I can't take her past the shoe shop, right? Like, <laughs> well, there's like the number of times you see it posted on Facebook that, hey, I've just done a Kmart splurge. Like that's just become mm. the thing these days that they talk about getting lost in Kmart coming out an hour later with all sorts of stuff. It is a good shop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, that's all my friends and I used to do. What are we going to do on the weekend? We'll go shopping. Yeah. And it's a real cultural thing. And, um, and like I was the same as a teenager and what I've noticed is we spend a lot of money on stuff we just don't need. And if we had used that money to buy shares and property and bonds and put it in interest bearing accounts, you wouldn't have to keep saving forever. It's because we spend first and then we go, Oh, there's not much left over. I'll just keep not worrying about it because we miss out on the compounding. It's the time effect. The sooner you save, the sooner you don't have to worry about it. So for me, I think particularly for women, if you get heaps of satisfaction out of shopping, go for it. But make sure you do your saving first. Put it aside so you're not tempted to spend that money because if it's not in your account and it's not in your wallet, you'll find it hard to spend. I feel like a common criticism perhaps of that would be I don't want to live my life counting my pennies. If I want to buy a coffee, I want to buy a coffee and I don't want someone to tell me that I can't because I have to watch where every cent goes. What would you say to that? 
I totally agree. I hate budgeting. I hate it. It's boring. <laughs> it's really boring. And that's my point about <laughs> save first. If you get the income in your account, right? let's say you get 100% of your income arrives and you move 20% of it off to a savings account and you've got the 80% left there, spend it however you like. Yeah. Do whatever you need to do. Make sure you've got your mortgage covered. Make sure yeah. you <laughs> Oh, yeah, that bit, yeah. Yeah, but if you want to buy a coffee with that remaining 80%, buy a coffee. Knock yourself out. If that's what makes you happy, go for it. But don't mindlessly just go and spend the money on coffee just for the hell of it. The next question I was going to ask you was, you know, what's the most important thing we should be teaching our kids? But it sounds like we need to be teaching our kids about saving. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that idea of just making it a habit and the sooner you do it, the sooner you don't have to think about it. To wrap up, we have a couple of questions that we like to ask. And the first one is whether or not you have a mantra, some words that you live by. Oh, there's, I'm not very good at living by them. That's why I have to keep saying them to myself. But I can't remember the name of the lady. I'll try and find it. It's a quote and it's, pain is inevitable, misery is optional. There are plenty of things that are painful in life that suck, that drive you nuts. The commute is one thing that drives me nuts. (laughs) But I don't need to inflict my misery on everybody else. Or even on yourself. Yeah. I really like to try and work out if there's something I can't control and it sucks, I'm just going to like let that happen and stop bitching and moaning about it. And I do need constant reminders on this. I'm a terrible sick person, for example. (laughs) I know that I will eventually get better. Like when I've got a cold, it's just that I've got to try not to inflict it on everybody else. So I really admire those people who are able to have things happen to them or circumstances in life that make them a bit miserable, but they don't inflict that misery on anyone else. And so that's why I use the pain is inevitable. Misery is optional as my mantra. Wow. I love that. I was really interested to see where you were going to take that question because we've spoken about so many varied and different topics with you and you have a, what are we saying instead of passion? (laughs) You have a big care for lots of those things. So I wondered where that was going to fit. So yeah. Cool. The other question that we like to ask is if you have one piece of advice that you would give to women who are managing the juggle, what would that be? Do less. Do less. Honestly, we expect so much of ourselves. We rush around a lot and it feels like that is not sustainable for me. When I think about how quickly time goes because you are so busy juggling, there's some of the things that we juggle are things that are just completely superfluous that don't add value to our lives. So if there's something that you can stop doing, stop doing it (laughs) and take that time instead to sit on the couch with a cup of tea and think about nothing if you can and not look at the calendar. So yeah, do less would be it. It's so interesting. We seem to get constantly people telling us that their number one problem with the juggle is time. time. And it keeps coming up. So we had our episode with Laura Vandercam and she spoke about the idea of really looking at where you're spending your time and deciding on whether or not that's important to you or not, or whether you're doing things that that aren't. Like spending money, whether you're spending your time on things because you think you should or because other people are. Same thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, don't waste it. It's, a, it's the only non-renewable resource, I would say. You can always get more money. You cannot get more time. So just be gentle with yourself about it. Don't push yourself so fast. I feel like I'm going to be taking two months of sitting on my bum when I finish the contract <laughs> just to recover from the stress of running around because it does become habitual. A HR manager told me once that you always take twice as long to recover from a holiday when you come back to work as the length of the holiday. So um, I can see it being the same when it's the opposite way around and you've had a a very intense contract period. You would need at least that long to recover and get yourself back to an even keel. Yeah, and I intend to take it. (laughs) Yeah. 
All right. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It's been great to hear, especially I really enjoyed, you know, hearing someone talk about the pros and cons of business versus corporate, because I really do think there's so many misconceptions around that. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It was great to chat with you ladies. Thanks, Lacey. Cheers. You can find out more about Money School and Maker Kids at moneyschool.org.au. Thank you so much for joining us today. And that is the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed it, then please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast in your podcast app. And while you're there, why not give us a five-star rating and let us know what you think about it by writing a review. Leaving a review really does help other people find out about our show and it means that we can support more people like you. And of course, if you want to continue the conversation, come and join us on Facebook at The Juggle Community. See you next time. Happy juggling. Bye.